Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families and on this episode of Enterprising Families we are going to be joined by my guest Darren Dodson and we're going to be speaking about teaching the next gen how to fish particularly focusing on stewardship. I am very excited to be having this conversation especially with the vast experience that Darren has. So welcome Darren. Oh it's great to be here. And before we jump into our conversation for the day today, I would like you to just introduce yourself to my audience so they know who you are and where you come from. Great. I'm I'm Darren Dotson. I grew up in Washington, D.C., and uh, I was very, very uh, excited to um, join to talk a little bit more about intergenerational um, wealth transitions as well as impact in the world. Awesome stuff. So now looking at our topic today, teaching the next generation how to fish. Why is it important to teach the next generation? And what is fishing, especially for next generations who come from wealthy backgrounds? Well, this is one of my favorite topics and favorite activities in terms of fishing. I uh, grew up um, fishing quite a bit in the Washington, D.C. area and have uh, expanded my my interest to fish in different parts of the world, as well as where I currently live in the Oakland, California area, um, as well as many other countries. And one of the things that I really think is powerful in this intergenerational con- conversation is how we teach uh, each other, not just how to um, eat fish, but how to catch fish so that we're always uh, learning and moving the needle across generations on something that can be passed on. And for for us in the investment business, that really rings true because teaching other generations how to uh, catch fish or make investments that continue to perform over multiple generations is something incredibly important. I know uh, within the context of this particular uh, podcast family governance is one of the most important topics and issues, and we see that as an incredibly important area as well. But one of the basic concepts of um, fishing that our world is challenged with today is that we need to make sure that one generation doesn't take all of the fish before passing on the incredible lessons and overfishing the fisheries across the planet. I know that uh, I practice in uh, many places catch and release, uh, teaching uh, young people in my family how to fish and you know leave fish for for other generations and only eating what we uh, we might we might catch rather than uh, catching fish and keeping them on uh, you know and and uh, you know just filling up the freezer or refrigerator for many many months that kind of thing. So I think there are lots of different principles that transfer between the two topics and excited to be here and explore those more. Thank you for that. And you know what, just the description that you, you shared with me right now had me, 
have this picture in my head of, yeah, what would happen if one generation overfished and then the next generation has to either build up the supply of fish or has nothing to survive on. And we never think of that when we're thinking of wealth. Sometimes, um, especially when you look at Forbes lists and, and things like that, you think that wealth has is, is an infinite resource. And it is true, it is an infinite resource, but then it becomes more so when we invest in knowing how much to spend, where to spend it, and why to spend it. And I'm sure you can give us insight on why it's so important to have that stewardship. Yes, I think uh, stewardship and investing is incredibly important. Part of what we do um, in, in our work in the asset management business, I lead an organization called Illumin Capital. And one of the unique things that we're able to do is help the families that are partners with us and our strategy to really think carefully about the stewardship of their resources to further and transform environmental challenges facing the world, financial uh, inclusive challenges facing the world, education technology challenges, and then uh, ultimately looking at healthcare disparities. And many of these disparities disproportionately impa impact um, Black people and people of color that are often overlooked and underestimated within the asset management business. So part of the power of, um, you know, back to our fishing analogy, is uh, finding fish. Uh, fish are only in 10% of the water. Um, so one of the things you learn very early in fishing is you have to get really good at finding out where they are uh, because there, there are so few parts of the water where they are. And that's similar to good investments. Good investments are not everywhere in the market. We need uh, to look very carefully at where they might be hidden. And in many cases, they're hidden, hidden beyond race and gender. And many investors get caught up on the race or gender of the leader of a company and miss the value in the marketplace. So part of what we do at Illumin Capital is help to take those blinders off so that the firms that we invest into, the families that we help on the journey of stewarding wealth can see past race and gender to the underlying value in the financial system to become better stewards of their wealth. Interesting. Um, I'm going to go back to that particular point. But before I get into what, which are the important areas to invest in, and um, which demographics are underinvested in, but have a lot of opportunity, how do we get next gens to join this conversation? And when is the right time to start having conversation about stewardship and investments with NextGen? What we see is about $60 trillion in wealth will transfer um, across generations. So there's it's never too early to begin conversations with the next generation. And, and in fact, they vote overwhelmingly towards impact uh, investing and strong stewardship principles in order to move our world forward across these dimensions of environmental um, governance and social um, kind of investment. So we call them ESG. Uh, and in addition to that, there's sort of the super powered part of each ESG, which is impact investing, which is the area that we focus in on. 
So I think that one of the missing opportunities perhaps in the intergenerational conversation is to really, uh, for uh, more senior um, members of the family to engage younger people around their interest areas that are around these key levers of impact investing, like those that we work on at Illumin Capital. Right. And but when you said they're like 10% of the waters are where you will find fish, I use that analogy to describe how good investments is not found in all of the water. You have to be very particular about where you find your fish and also the quality of fish you find. What are some of the tips that you would give to families who are interested in engaging in investments that are going to increase their ability to be stewards to look at? It's a great question. You know, one thing I'd point out about the ocean is that um, there are thousands of different kinds of fish. And right now in the asset management business of the $69 trillion in capital, only 1.3% is managed by women and people of color combined. So we, we know that biodiversity within the ocean, um, within the natural ecosystems, strengthens the overall resilience of systems and creates more growth. Um, similarly, in the asset management business, if there was more diversity and inclusion, it would lead to greater prosperity and overall uh, optimality in the economic environment. However, we don't have that. So part of what we do as a firm is we work with the funds that we invest into to systematically go through a process of reducing their implicit biases to really see beyond um, uh, race and, and gender to value in marketplaces. So one of the things that we, we do is help uh, those that we invest in to see the fish that are often unseen by others because of race and gender, which, which commands in many cases, uh, a dimension of creating economic op optimality and growth and the ability to steward um, wealth in ways that really impacts the world in positive ways and helps to grow uh, economic value. Right. And also, you've been mentioning a lot about the work that you do as an organization, as, as well as the focus that you have. Let's say um, a family is looking to engage an organization such as your own and um, is in the market, not sure where to look. Obviously, when you're fishing, you need the right tools to go in there and fish for the right type of fish. What are some of the tips or um, ideas that you would give families in terms of what they should look out for in terms of organizations that they can engage for the work that you do? Yeah, it's a great, great question. I think that, uh, you know, beginning with a set of values is incredibly important. Um, what are the things that the, the, the family um, values within the companies that they might select that match up with the things that they care about in the world? For example, um, if if the family wants to steward research resources um, and has a, a passion around produce from some of the um, history of the family in terms of growing uh, produce or fruit or things of that sort, looking at 
strategies where they have knowledge and um, connection to land um, over time and thinking about that from that dimension in terms of investment and asking their investment advisors questions about um, different assets that can continue the legacy of uh, you know, that part of the family, be it, uh, you know, a large grocer that they may have uh, a sense of how the market or marketing within grocers work based on the family history or, or legacy of some way. So I think that there's a really, uh, you know, kind of, and then when, when they look at the goals of the family, maybe building wealth for other people, um, in addition to themselves is important. And they might look at financial, uh, investments in financial technology companies or other things that their advisors might um, show to them as options within that process. So I think there's a number of different ways, but beginning with values is extraordinarily important. And then beginning to ask a set of questions about how their investments align with those values is sort of the first step. Um, they might look at what they currently hold as a first step and see if it matches or doesn't match with their values and then create a shift with their financial advisors to figure that out. Interesting. And what would you say have been some of the more um, interesting, once again, interesting uh, projects that you have been um, involved in and what are the 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 values in terms of what value have you seen come out for the investors as well as the communities that have been invested in? Well, one of the things that we believe in is um, that the work around reducing bias within the investment community is not just something that you can simply teach someone um, or tell someone about. You have to uh, commit to practicing differently and showing each other how we do it together and collectively. So one of the things that we do with our investors is we invite them to Montgomery, Alabama, and we go through a deep dive on slavery, lynching, mass incarceration, and other periods of history that have really led to this huge imbalance in the global financial markets, where only 1.3% of women and people of color manage um, manage uh, assets and own asset management firms so that they can really have a sense of how these systems got to be the way they are so they can see the leverage points in which to invest, to transform and change these systems. So we do that um, by spending time uh, in places like Montgomery, Alabama, and really getting close to the issues that created the problem. And then again, um, expanding the solution set through investment, investable options so that they can be a part of the, the change and sort of overcoming these challenges. That's interesting. And looking at, um, you mentioned, um, uh, obviously that would be a domestic investment for US-based uh, families or um, next gens. What is a more global outlook when it comes to investment? Where are investment funds going? Should families feel safe in terms of investing even in industries that they're not familiar with? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think that um, there are some U.S.-centric aspects to um, some of the investment strategies that I've described, however, um, 
the global financial markets in terms of representation of women and people of color are also quite sparse. Um, and these the history of um, oppression and financial marginalization um, kind of follows a global footprint. For example, um, Brazil um, is one of the largest slave ports in, in the world and had even more slaves than the United States. You know, we're talking about the West Indies um, or even colonization. So when we look at the vestiges of um, systems of oppression globally, part of what we see is uh, that, that power and the way that structures of systematic racism and oppression have uh, come about, it creates a tremendous um, kind of call to those that are interested in stewardship and wealth creation and um, overcoming the systemic oppression and creates investable opportunities to help build power for those that are trying to overcome and, um, and transform systems. So that's one of the things that we are um, really interested in, whether it's gender bias and the way that um, women are treated in different places globally around the world and creating strategies to fund people that are often overlooked and underestimated for no other reason than their race or gender. So I think in, in terms of the family, I mean, um, sometimes, uh, you know, people might look to their daughter or their uh, wife or their um, grandchildren and think of the way that they want them to be able to live and have opportunities for um, freedom of expression, freedom of um, uh, prosperity within their lifetimes and investments that not only um, create economic value, but also create uh, push on some of these levers of, of challenge that limit the aspirations of young people uh, are really important. To be specific, one dimension of, of impact we might consider is the child's imagination. Um, do we feel that when we walk uh, along a community and ask young people what they aspire to be and what they think is possible, um, can we, you know, kind of help to give them tools that, um, you know, overcome the immediate circumstances that they might be in or have or, or, or sort of notes of society suggestion on what they can become over time? One company that we fund in particular helps redefine um, books for young girls. Uh, and it um, shows career-oriented women um, across cultures around, around the world that are um, generally young women are beginning to think um, because of societal signals in many countries that they are not able to do science or math. And this book tells counter narratives and stories of many uh, female astronauts or um, Oprah in some cases uh, of people who have overcome um, that myth that women can't do science or math and sort of express the fullness of what they'd like to achieve in life. Um, so that's just, you know, kind of one example in that company has expanded on digital platforms and reached over 30 countries around the world and um, enabled um, hundreds of thousands of girls to kind of rethink these narratives that society might tell them about the limits of their aspiration.
I love that. And I love the fact that you gave an example that's something that is relatable. I think one of my final questions to you today would be, when you're looking at the different industries that you're seeing next gen wanting to get into, there is this conversation around tech apps and heavily investing in that space. My, my two questions would be, firstly, which are the industries you're seeing more next gens being engaged in other than tech? And secondly, which are the industries that you think need more attention than they are currently getting? Yeah, I think the area of agroecology is one where, um, you know, the great challenges I'm here in New York for Climate Week, for example, and as we look at the um, increase in global warming and temperatures, I was just looking at some data that showed um, communities that had been historically redlined within the uni United States. In other words, loans not offered to them because they have uh, black citizens or Latinx citizens are five degrees warmer than um, other communities that are, are more white uh, across the United States. And it just made me kind of reflect on the way that many um, communities of color are, I think, 50%, 56% more likely to have um, polluted air than non-communities of color. And, and they're more likely to have not created the pollution that leads to that 50%, 56% increase in polluted air. So as we struggle as a, a globe with things that should be on the agenda that aren't on the agenda, one of the things that we have to look at is the intersection of climate and justice um, as, a, um, as a key area, which is a very large problem that means that on the other side of is large economic value as we seek solutions to help overcome that challenge um, to both uh, you know, kind of expand the possibilities around the racial dimension of the problem, uh, but also uh, to solve one of the big problems that face in our world. And finally, my last question to you would be, what is your parting words to my audience within the U.S., outside of the U.S., people who are looking to invest, next gens who are heavily leaning towards investments that are ESG focused, that um, give alignment to um, equity as well as supporting marginalized communities. What is your final parting word? Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, the tools often exist to do the rigorous financial analysis of investments. And that's a well-known area where many might study in an MBA program or study for a CFA uh, and be able to, you know, kind of build the chops or even learn within their families the chops of how to build uh, a financial analysis of an investment. However, you know, as we move into the ESG dimension, I think that um, I would sort of my call to action is use the same um, scientific kind of rigor, which is constantly being iterated on, but engage in that same level of depth of conversation with your potential investees 
around the um, sort of impact dimensions of what you're looking to do and achieve. One of the things that um, a hero of mine, James Baldwin, uh, often said is it's very hard to trust what you say when I see what you do. And when you think about the uh, question that you want to ask impact investing proprietors and those that are building products in the space, you want to look at what they do and not just what they say. If there's a, a frame that I might leave with the same inquisitive and um, critical eye that James Baldwin would uh, also, you know, kind of share with us as part of his analysis of, of broken structural systems. So I think that will make everybody better. It'll make those uh, proprietors of investments stronger because you're asking great questions and it'll help to redefine the integrity of the field in a really powerful way. Thank you so much once again, Darren. I will be including Darren's contacts in the show notes. That is um, the links to the websites and the work that he does. So make sure that you reach out, find out more about what he's doing and the impact that his organization is making. And thank you once again for sharing with us how we can teach our next gens to fish. Thank you so much.